post-it notes, Viagra, x-rays, nylon, velcro, rubber, and microwave ovens, to some extent, were all the result of lucky accidents. My guest today believes since so much of our lives are influenced by the unplanned and the unexpected, it makes sense to capitalize on these moments. It's time to banter. This is Business Banter, a podcast for the Indo-German business community, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues of matter in business. And now, here's your host, Gotham. When King Jafar, ruler of the ancient country of Serendip, an old name for Sri Lanka, became concerned that his three sons were too sheltered, privileged, and unprepared for the challenges of ruling the kingdom, he decided to send them on a journey on which they would learn some important life lessons. In one tale, the princes come across a merchant who has lost a camel. From observations they have made during their journey, they describe the camel so well that the merchant believes they must have stolen it. The merchant takes them to the emperor, who asks how they could possibly have given such a clear description of the camel if they had never seen it. They explain that they knew the camel was lame because they observed tracks showing the prints of three feet and a fourth being dragged, and that they knew it was carrying butter on one side and honey on the other because flies had been attracted to the butter on one side of the road and ants to the honey on the other side of the road, and so on. Suspicions that the princes might have stolen the camel, given their detailed description of it, are rebutted when another traveler enters to say he has found the camel. The princes did not yet know that a lame, honey-bearing camel was missing when they made their observations. But when they learned that one was missing, they connected this information to what they had observed earlier. In other words, they connected the dots. In 1754, the British writer and politician Horace Walpole wrote to a friend about an unexpected discovery which he compared to the story of the three princes. In doing so, he coined the word serendipity, describing the princes as people who were always making discoveries by accidents and sagacity of things they were not in quest of. And so, the word entered the English language. And while it has been reduced by many to mean simply good luck, it is clear that Walpole had spotted its subtle meaning. My guest, Dr. Christian Bush, teaches at New York University and the London School of Economics. At NYU, he directs the Global Economy Programme for the Centre for Global Affairs. Previously, he co-directed the LSE's Innovation and Co-Creation Lab and served as a course leader. He is a co-founder of Sandbox Network, a leading community of young innovators active in over 20 countries, as well as Leaders on Purpose, an organization convening high-impact leaders. He is a member of the World Economic Forum's Expert Forum and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. His book, The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck, is the result of over a decade of experience as a researcher, business consultant, and university lecturer. He has spent 15 years cultivating serendipity in his own life. Being the German that he is, he has got this down to a science and is going to tell us how we can master the art of creating good luck. Christian, thank you for joining us. 
Thanks so much for having me. So while many would put serendipity down to dumb luck, it is in fact smart luck that depends on our ability to spot and connect the dots. Every case of serendipity is unique, but as you mentioned in your book, there are three core types. All involve an initial serendipity trigger, but they differ on intent and on the outcome. So Christian, tell me, what is the science behind this? Yeah, that's a great question because I mean serendipity being all about this smart luck that we can create ourselves in the sense of seeing something in the unexpected and then turning it into positive outcomes, there's then these different types that are all about are we already looking for something or is this kind of completely just changing our life and we we didn't look for for anything. And so kind of there's there's the, the first type is really this Archimedes, you know, when he was asked by the king to check if his crown had real gold in it. And, you know, so he had a clear idea of something he wanted to figure out or imagine you're looking for a particular job or something, right? So you have a particular goal in mind, but he couldn't find a way to get it. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out how that, how that could be possible. And then, you know, he goes into the baths and he wants to chill out and he, he lifts himself into the water and the water is parting. And he realizes, Eureka, oh my God, I can actually, by putting the crown into water, and how much water it will kind of push away, I can know if that is real gold when I compare it with a crown that, that isn't real gold. And so it's kind of, he already wanted to know that what he was looking for, but in a way he didn't know how to do that. And the same with a job where you might be looking for that particular job, but you might run into an old acquaintance who coincidentally works at that company and can help you get that job. So it's essentially you're looking for a solution, but it, it comes in a very unexpected way. And then the second is really kind of this posted note serendipity, which is, you 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 look for one problem or one solution, but then you unexpectedly come across something different that actually could be even cooler. And so, you know, take the post-it notes where this guy, you know, he was trying to develop a strong glue at, at 3M, the company, and, you know, it just didn't work. Like, it wasn't really sticky at all. And, hey, Eureka, he realized, wow, actually, it could work much better if it's a weak glue which then could be turned into that kind of post-it note. And then, you know, same with the, let's say in this case, you know, you might be looking for a job in in advertising and then you come across someone who, who tells you about something completely different and you end up with a job in painting, right? So this idea that you, you're looking for something, but you end up with something completely different. And then the third is really around this kind of thunderbolt serendipity, that kind of thing where you're not looking for anything but you're struck by something and, and you completely change. So, for example, uh, you know, Sofar Sounds, which is this um, kind of wonderful, you know, uh, event where people chill in their homes and have a kind of band playing there. That came out of essentially these three guys, you know, being at a concert and people were constantly looking at their phones and nobody really focused on the music. And they were like, Jesus Christ, can't those people just focus on the music? And so they were like, look, why don't we put that into living rooms, small select groups of people, and really focusing on the music? And so that was a kind of thunderbolt and same thing, right? You might be in an existing job, but run into something or someone and say, oh, my God, I want to completely switch that based on XYZ um, thing that, that you encountered. So all these three have in common that it's always about this kind of unexpected moment, but you have to do something about it to turn it into a positive outcome. One of my favorite examples is deploying the three hooks when introducing yourself to someone. And I've decided I'm going to use it regularly. It's so simple and so effective. I think it's a good way to create a serendipitous moment, don't you think? 
Absolutely. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. And it really comes from this wonderful entrepreneur in London, Ollie Barrett. You know, if you would ask him this dreaded question at a conference, which everyone seems to ask nowadays, this kind of what do you do or on a Zoom call, he wouldn't just say I'm a technology entrepreneur or something like that. He would say something like, well, you know, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. So what he's doing here is he's giving you three hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I recently started hosting piano matinees. You should come by. Or, oh my God, such a coincidence. My brother is teaching the philosophy of science. You should come in as a guest speaker. The point is that the more we can, you know, cast these hooks in conversations, in every interaction, we can think about how do I float one or two themes in a very discreet way where the other person can connect the dots for us. Because serendipity at the end of the day is all about spotting and connecting dots. And so if we can essentially incentivize others to connect the dots for us, that's even cooler. You've discussed a number of examples of the serendipity mindset being applied in business. Uh, Are there any case studies that demonstrate its effectiveness in a corporate environment? Would companies consider training their employees and help them develop this mindset? Yeah, there's actually, you know, in in a lot of different verticals, there's different approaches we can use to really kind of facilitate and cultivate serendipity. One of my favorites is the project funeral or the post-mortem, where essentially the idea is that, you know, usually in an organization or in a team or even in a family, we, whenever something doesn't work out, we try to hide it, right? We try to to pretend it never happened because we don't want to be the loser who's responsible for, for X, Y, Z thing. But actually, the problem now is, of course, that we don't really learn from each other, right? Because we're constantly just telling each other about successes. But the real learning, of course, is in the things that don't really work. And so the Project Funeral is all about essentially saying, how do we institutionalize? How do we build and develop a ritual or process that allows us to present those things that don't work in a way that is not focused on celebrating failure, but celebrating the learning from what didn't work? And so in this one example uh, of a company, They had this window glass, you know, where the idea was, well, it's an amazing kind of thing where the light doesn't reflect and it's an amazing technology. But, you know, they realized later on that people just wouldn't pay a lot of money for that. And so they put it to rest in front of other people from other divisions and said, you know what, we learned that next time we'll try to understand the market better and, you know, we'll we'll, we'll learn from that. Now, someone in the audience goes like, hey, 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 have you considered what this would mean for solar? Have you considered if you would take that technology and put it into a solar device, how effective that could be in terms of absorbing energy? And that is how, quote unquote, coincidentally, their or part of their solar division emerged. The point here is that a lot of times in companies, you know, up to 50% of innovations, inventions emerge serendipitously because either people see something in the unexpected, right? So they, 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 they make accidents meaningful. Or they create meaningful accidents like with this hook strategy we discussed earlier. And so in companies, you know, there's a lot of areas of application. The example I just mentioned is an example where it's a lot about how do we embed that into every kind of team and every division. But there's also, you know, in HR functions, for example, we can screen people based on, you know, if they consider themselves to be lucky, which is a good predictor for if they tend to create more kind of creative uh, 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 things in their lives and, and more serendipity. In marketing divisions, we can incentivize people to look out for unexpected customer data, which a lot of times might lead people into positive kind of directions. Um, you know, we can talk later about the example of the potato washing machine, for example, which is one of my favorites, because it's really about this idea that once we sensitize people to the unexpected, it happens all the time, but we can then turn it into positive outcomes. 
And there's indeed the story of the, the famous blue pill. Indeed, indeed. Um, so that's, you know, a couple of decades ago where researchers were essentially trying to, you know, give people medication against angina. And they realized that there was movement happening in male participants' trousers. And what would we usually do? We would probably be either embarrassed or we would be like, oh, my God, let's find a better way to cure angina without having that quote-unquote side effect. Now, they said, you know what, that's unexpected. But that's, there's a lot of men in the world who might have a problem in that department. So why don't we, you know, essentially try to figure out what that is all about? And that's how, coincidentally, Viagra evolved. And, you know, that's essentially how exactly a lot of these things like penicillin, uh, Viagra, post-it notes, like all these things a lot of times come out of these moments where people connect the dots in an unexpected moment. And it's not only the business world. One can find serendipity anywhere even in social interactions. I'm thinking of the coffee shop experiment conducted by psychologist Dr. Richard Weissman. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's one of my favorite examples because I tend to, you know, all my love interests, or not all of them, but most, a lot of them actually, um, you know, came out of coffee shop experiences where I randomly drop a coffee and then, you know, you somehow kind of connect or, or other other means. And, and that, that experiment really is um, essentially the um the 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 experiment where they took someone who self-identifies as very lucky so someone who says good things always happen to me um and then someone who self-identifies as very unlucky so someone who says bad things tend to happen to me um i'm always in accidents and these kind of things and i guess we all know both kind of people right in our lives and so um the the lucky person and and and, and what they don't tell them is uh, the only thing they tell them is you know what walk down the street go into the coffee shop, order coffee and sit down and then we'll have our interview. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras across the street and in the or alongside the street and inside the coffee shop, that there's a five pound note in front of the coffee shop. And then inside the coffee shop, the table next to the counter is, you know, there's this extremely successful businessman who sits there who can make big dreams happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. That's the table that's closest. Uh, you know, has a nice conversation with the businessman. They exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five-pound note, so doesn't see it, walks inside the shop, orders the coffee, also sits next to the businessman. It's the, the table next to the counter, ignores the businessman, and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, so how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, it was amazing. I found money in the street. I made new friends. And, you know, potential opportunity coming out of it, we don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, you know, and essentially just says, yeah, nothing really happened, right? And so it's essentially that idea that the way we frame the world, the way we look at the world, a lot of times already kind of almost like, like in a self-fulfilling prophecy type direction um, 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 leads us to where, where we get. And that's why um, I mentioned earlier also, when you think about things such as recruitment processes, why companies like Zappos use questions such as, do you consider yourself to be lucky? Because essentially that is a good predictor of how people will solve problems later if they see an opportunity or an limitation whenever they solve a problem. But how could one go about creating serendipity? What would be the first steps one could take towards developing a serendipity mindset? I'm a big fan of 
developing or kind of journaling. So, so a serendipity journal where essentially, you know, we put in, okay, what are the key themes I'm interested in at the moment that I potentially want to connect dots to, right? So am I looking for particular themes, things, um, or do I have particular values that are important to me or whatever it is, just something that allows us to connect dots easier. And then really thinking about how can I use every conversation now that I anyways have to have to float a little bit of this and to just kind of bring a little bit of this into conversations. And then at the same time, also really reflecting on the past and thinking about what was it in my past that either led me to have some kind of serendipity where, you know, there was something unexpected and I reacted in a good way to it, but also really reflecting on what helped me back in the past. Were there things where I, you know, walked out of a coffee shop and felt, ah, I should have talked with this person, right? And really realizing what is it that helped me back what is it that are these kind of self-limiting beliefs that I have that even if I might see something in the moment, if I might have sensed the connection or if I might have sensed something in a, in a situation, what was it that, that, that didn't allow me to make it happen? And so really also working on the deeper fundamental psychological um, kind of barriers that might be behind a lot of times us not having as much serendipity as we could have. Speaking of your past, when you were 18, things were quite different. There was a moment that led you towards this search for meaning and eventually finding serendipity. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I had COVID earlier in the year, like a severe form of it. And it was actually a reminder of that because it was, again, like this kind of near-death experience where you're just like, wow, it can be over every day, right? We can all run in front of a car tomorrow, so we might as well um, make today uh, count. And, yeah, I had an experience when I was uh, 18, I, uh, before that, I used to be this reckless teenager, you know, I, I kind of lived into the day, partied every day and, you know, transferred this. I, I essentially, I was kicked out of high school. I was, uh, I, I, I had to repeat a year and so on. And, and so there was all these kind of troubling things where I have a lot of respect for my parents who endured me during that, that period. Um, and I transferred this lifestyle to my driving style and, you know, uh, probably helped the unofficial world record and how many dustbins you can knock over on your way to school. And then one day I wasn't so lucky anymore and, and smashed into four parked cars, all completely smashed, including my own. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and it was like, oh my God, he's still alive. So this idea that I was supposed to be dead and that, that really stuck with me. And uh, it put me on this intense search for meaning, you know, this idea of, okay, if I would have died, was it all worth it? Did I do anything meaningful? And, and it was quite depressing to do an analysis at that point. And uh, I started reading this wonderful book that I reread this year, um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about that question, how do we find meaning in crisis? How do we find meaning in the toughest of circumstances and, you know, make the best out of it? And I think that's something, you know, at the moment where I guess a lot of us, you know, try to make the best out of the situation that's happening. I think importantly, right, like a lot of us, I think opportunity at the moment is very unequally distributed. Um, and I think that's 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 really important in, in general when we look at serendipity, right, that a lot of times some people have a higher starting position than others. And so it's also about us working on these more structural inequalities. But I think in general, this kind of search for meaning has has led me into that. And I, I had to think about it when I when I heard the, uh, the, 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 the child in, in the background of yours, right? Like we all try to kind of figure out how to work from home in ways that, that make sense at the moment, try to make the best out of everything. And I think that is what the serendipity mindset is a lot about, to say, how do we essentially take every given situation? And that's what Viktor Frankl was all about. How do you take every kind of situation, whatever the situation gives us, and then in our response, that's where our freedom lies, that's where serendipity lies. And I think that's where 
what, what the core of that journey has been to really figure out how can you create companies, communities that enable people to have these kind of moments more. It's an extraordinary journey. I'm glad you decided to write this book. It's a great read. I highly recommend it. I have put Christian's information in the description of this podcast. Feel free to get in touch with him and ask him about more effective ways to spill coffee. Hmm. Christian, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Gordon, for having me. You've reached the end of another episode of the Business Banter Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.